Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. We have a guest this week, so we just wanted to take a minute or so here to introduce him properly. Yeah, because I did a bad job in the podcast itself. Um, so our guest this week... You didn't week, do a bad job. You were just so wrapped up. You were We were riveted was by the so conversation. I was so excited that I lost all sense of my my job and and, and um, obligations yeah. for the podcast and to let you guys all know what you're... What you're the, the treat that is coming your way. Um, so we have Razib Khan, who is a Bangladeshi American writer. He is a population geneticist and he has a substack that is wildly popular. It's called Razib Khan's Unsupervised Learning. Um, Razib has been active in you know the discourse for quite some time, writing a lot about science and history and, and all that kind of uh, nerdy stuff. Uh, he has gotten in trouble before. Uh, he has more than one podcast, one that's... Um, affiliated with unsupervised learning, the Substack, And then there was another one that I was on a long time ago um, called the Brown Pundits podcast. Um, so this, in this conversation, we go <laughs> <Really>? over... <laughs> the Brown Pundits? It's, it's, it, they're, they're two, I think it's two people, like Razib and this other guy. And they're both brown. And... They're both pundits. Oh God, I guess. We should have called our podcast the White and Brown podcast. Yeah, that would have been perfect. Even better. Yeah. When we do a second one, well, that's what, what the name will be. Why can't it be like brown and pink? <laughs> uh, you think I'm more pink than white? Depends on the time of year. Yeah. So the conversation was pretty interesting. It was different than what we talk about normally. I feel like it went into a lot of different directions. <laughs> Megan was confused yeah, at it was least a little, half the time. It was a little over my head. Yeah, because there was a lot of brown people talk. Uh, Megan was appalled. I was uh, a little offended. That I was a little othered. I felt a little othered. Yes. Also, um, I have to say that uh, this there might be a, there's a moment in this interview that might be one of the most embarrassing uh, moments for me of anything I've ever recorded, and I would really? like to say that I did not did not <laughs> edit it out. So you're welcome, and. Uh, I'm sure it will become apparent to you when you when you get to it. All right. Um, and then finally, we have one uh, happy little announcement. Or, I mean, is it happy? How happy are you about this change, oh, Megan? Um, yeah, we've got some exciting changes coming up. You know, I don't believe in happiness. I, I believe in contentment mm -hmm. and fulfillment. Mm. So... <laughs> <laughs> that remains to be seen if this will either with be either fulfilling or offer uh, contentment. But uh, yeah, we're gonna. Uh, we've been talking about this. We're gonna. We're gonna be going to video. We're gonna have the video option for those of us who would for those who would like to watch us on video. Yeah. So we're we're moving. We have a channel. Uh, you can find us on YouTube. It's a special place in hell. It has the same little logo that that you're familiar with, or beautiful little logo. Um, I'm not sure if we have an address, channel address yet. I don't think we do, but you can find us on YouTube. Um, yeah. And we will link uh, on the Substack. We will uh, give you guys all the appropriate links to our various uh, channels and social media uh, spots. And it's not like we're moving. We're still going to be in the old places. It's more, yeah, it's like yeah. we've gotten a vacation home. 
It's we're, like we've we're gotten expanding. a second, second house. Yeah. So yes. if you listen to us, you, you'll still be able to hear us on all the regular places. Don't be alarmed. If you're not interested in watching us on YouTube, this is not going to affect your experience whatsoever. Just but if you keep, do... Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. If you do want to see us awkwardly looking at each other or picking our noses or anything, mm. that's that's where to go. This you can is the place your- <laughs> All right. That okay. With that said... Excellent, excellent advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> With that said, um, here's uh, Razib Khan. Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell, the podcast where an aging Gen X author and a self-hating millennial activist come together to thoroughly and conclusively solve our nation's culture war problems with our combined wit, wisdom, and most importantly, lived experience. I am the aging Gen X author, Megan Daum, and with me is the self-hating millennial, Sarah Hader. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Megan. We uh, have somebody with us today. We have a very special guest. Very Would you special. like to introduce him? Sure. Yeah. So our special, special guest is Razib Khan, who is Welcome. Uh, Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Clap, clap, clap. Yeah. Who is um a very big deal on 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 Twitter, on Substack. You have a an enormously successful Substack called Unsupervised Learnings. Is that right? You are correct. Yes. It's a it's a great Substack. Uh it is it is hot. It is hot, hot, hot. Um, you are a person who's been involved in the discourse for some time. Uh, you're a geneticist, um, which is I think it's um we'll go into that. A little bit, I guess. But um, tell me or tell our audience, what are the three key things they need to know about you uh, to get a good handle on who you are? Mm, okay, that's an interesting. Um, I don't lie. <laughs> Extremely disagreeable. <laughs> that's the main thing about you? That's, a, that's impressive. Um, okay. Well, uh, if you're a geneticist, that's dangerous. So, <laughs> um, right, yeah. And uh, very disagreeable. And... Um, I have a wide range of interest, I would say. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we talk about a lot of different things. Yeah. Your Substack is very interesting because it's it's this merging of just a lot of this genetics background that you have and like a ton of historical knowledge that you have also somehow accumulated. I find it like a little shocking, the amount, the, the productivity of it, but also just how much you know. Um, why? Why is that? particularly such a fascination? You know, so this is interesting. I've noticed that a lot of, uh, so I know a lot of people in STEM, obviously, uh, just because of my background. Uh, A lot of my friends, you know, obviously are in STEM. So uh, I think that those, you know, I'm surprised at how many people have told me that they almost majored in history. Um, So there's two types of science. Uh, You know, there's like physics and there's stamp collecting. Um, This is a way physicists (laughs) use to kind of of diss on biologists. I'm a biologist. But I think history is kind of like stamp collecting. And Mm. so I think a lot of, there's a lot of facts out there. You know, it's not like some of the other more theoretical humanities, if you want to consider it a humanities and not a social science. So, um, you know, it's way to like understand the world by just grasping a lot of little data points. Uh, But the way history is different from STEM, obviously, is it's theory poor. Um, attempts to Mm. engage in theorizing have generally failed and they're not very um, held in high esteem in history. If you're interested in theory, 
uh, theoretical stuff related to historical topics, you probably want to go into economics or political science uh, because mm-hmm. they do more model building and mathematical formalism. Um, my friend Peter Turchin at UConn is actually trying to change that. He has a whole field that he's trying to kickstart called Clio Dynamics. And Clio is history and dynamics is obviously dynamical systems. Obviously. I, mean, I, think, I think it's cool. I think it's cool. <laughs> but a lot of historians are not big fans. And it's partly just because of the type of person who wants to go into that. In terms of like why I'm interested, I just like to know a lot of different things. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously a geneticist and that requires a certain, uh, and I'm a population geneticist that requires a certain set of formal tools. And so you have basically a toolkit that you use to kind of understand the world and also make predictions. It's really difficult. Like for what, me to what say. are the, what, what are these tools? Uh, okay. So um, how tall are you? How tall am I? Five, five, three. Okay. <laughs> how tall is your, how tall is your partner? Oh, I'm uh, really tall. So this is actually interesting. Every, oh, did you mean? Did you mean my like my husband? Oh, your partner. Did Sorry, you mean, I thought you like, meant me. I thought you were talking about Megan, me. So Megan appears partner. very tall, but she's not. But she's not. We've talked about this endlessly. <laughs> I heard that episode. Okay. I thought she was tall too. Sorry. Actually. Okay, yeah, I want to. Wow. So maybe you can. Maybe you have insights into why. Okay, sorry, you, you not meant, me. We're talking meant, about Sarah's partner, husband. her husband. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's like six, like five eleven, six, something like that. Okay, so. Let me do the math on that. It's one standard deviation, maybe a third. Uh, (laughs) So you have like, you know, like a sixth. So the expected value of the offspring in terms of height is one sixth of a standard deviation above the average for both sexes. Uh, Let's regress it like about 10% back to the mean. So I don't know, let's call it one seventh. So that's the expected value. Um, So, you know, that's like really tiny. It's basically like about average, but there's going to be a variation, a standard deviation on a 70% interval. Uh, that's like two thirds of the population standard deviation. So like call it like one and a half inches. So the probability that any son of these two individuals is going to be five, eight plus or minus one and a half inches is a 70%, you know, interval. And then you can oh, do the math depressing. on top of that. So these are just, but I mean, there's variance. And so these okay. are the kind of things that if you're a population geneticist, you just like start to I mean, at least me, you just start to think of these sort of things in terms of how to understand things. So, you know, you can make a guess intuitively, or you can create an ad hoc formal model. And we just work in formal models. Uh, population genetics really is kind of, you can think of the algebra of genetics, um, you know, and so that's what I do. Uh, so I have a startup, you know, and that's been doing this for a while um, in startups Wait. in the genetic space. Yeah. I have a I have a question. How mm-hmm. tall would Sarah's husband have to be in order for her son to likely hit six feet? Is it even possible? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, a good yeah, question. It's quite possible. So let me just do that. Because Actually, she I might want to, I think, for I think the next kids, she might want to get a new husband. She might want to, depending on, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is all very, this is very useful information. (laughs) Um, uh, Let's see. The likely to be sick. Wait, uh, did you say you did the math wrong? Because I want to know this. This is very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I did do the math wrong. My son's going to be taller. Yeah, two thirds of standard deviation. So yeah, two thirds of a standard deviation above, not one third or yeah, something like that. So I did the math wrong. I flipped it around because you're not that much shorter than average. He's about like one standard deviation taller than average. And so it's going to be a small effect. It'll be closer to his and, but it's still be going to be shorter expected. So you probably want to add like two inches, two inches. So six, two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which okay. Is like getting so if I got six, top, okay. That's getting into like the top uh, mm. 10%, you know? Okay. All right, yeah. I'll take the. I'm I'm writing that down. Yeah. No. So, really it, it, but anyway, like, so like that's the kind of thing that you know I will do. Or um, 
you know, and I'm a population geneticist. I'm a human, human empirical population geneticist. So like I will ask people's backgrounds and I can like get rough estimates on ethnicity stuff. But I also like know how 23andMe does it. So I can tell you, oh, that's real. Oh, that's probably a false positive because I know the algorithm. I know the methodologies. I've worked in that field. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, for parties. yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you and I, I think that's what uh, we talked about when we were first like DMing. And I, I remember being impressed slash like a little weirded out by your the amount of knowledge that you had and then i was like oh he's a he's this is what he does <laughs> this is i know this, it's this, like this, people this. who are really into astrology it's like people yeah. who can just talk to you and they know all about your your yeah in whatever house and they know they can know everything about you it's it's a lot like that right it's it's a yeah, lot right. it's a lot to know yeah yeah but it's very well, similar so, to um yeah. I'll give you guys an example. Many years ago, my um, sister-in-law at the time, my brother-in-law got divorced from her, so that's why. But anyway, um, when I first met her, uh, we were talking about genetics because uh, she has a background in physiology. I have a background in genetics. And we were just talking about blood groups. She's like, oh, I'm RH negative. And I look at her and I'm like, oh, are you Basque? She's like, yeah. How did you know I was Basque? And I'm like, well, 70% of Basque women are RH negative. So, you know, that's just prior math right Wait, so, i don't even you know, know what I, that I, means I, is that a blood type or what is rh uh, negative yeah mean? don't worry about it you if you if you had a if you had children you would have known oh it's another reason yeah. i'm marginalized yeah. okay yeah i remember uh, we had a lot of these kinds of conversations like about my lineage and what else was it it was my maternal haplotype or something that that was unique yeah, so and i remember I, you pointing that out yeah, that's that's that sounds like me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have you guys done twenty three and Me? I mean, I know that's like very uh, like. Not basic. only have I done twenty three yeah. and Me, I have worked for the co-founder of twenty three and Me, and she has been on my podcast, and we are friends. Okay, and so you, cool. Sarah, have you done that? Anything? Yes, like that? I have, and I think I sent received my results. And were you surprised? Yeah, and then you never, and then you never did anything with it. Oh yeah, do you I have was them, expecting you all them kinds up? of? Oh, wait. I want to hear yeah. this in real time. Well, I, I think the results are that I'm super South Asian. I'm like extremely South Asian. But Razib can find out more. Like he can he can read more into it. Okay, so here's here's the issue. I mean, South Asians are very funny because they're like, you know, issues like they're obsessed with the genealogy and ancestry and stuff like that. And so I can either make them really happy or I can make them really angry. Uh, very polarized responses, you know? Um, and so if you're from a Muslim background, uh, especially from the northern part of the subcontinent, usually what it is is you have a great, 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 great grandfather who was from Iran or Arabia. And so you say you're Persian or Arab. But actually, just look at their face and you're just like... They're Indian. Yeah, they're like... Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it usually comes. <laughs> it's like, oh, like you're 0.4% Iranian. And yeah, yeah, 90, yeah. 9.6%. Yeah, so Megan's not, aw- Megan's not aware of these like bizarre racial dynamics. But there's there's just a... There's, um, yeah, as Razib said, a wide like... Uh, a, I, I don't know. I mean, it's racism, essentially, or it's supremacism of some kind. Well, it's it's a kind of supremacism where like they're they're South Asians of Muslim lineage think that it's better to be actually uh, Arab usually um, mm-hmm. like so your fa- your 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 great 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 whatever family is from Iraq originally and they had there's those like whole stories like family stories and mythologies built up around it. My family has one of those. Um, we have like this this. Gregor, 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 whatever, like this uh, ancestor who was supposedly a Sufi 
from Iraq. And there's a whole mythology around it. There's, you know, stories about him and his conquests and, I don't know, war. I'm, I'm not sure because I don't remember these stories very much. But um, it, it's a very bizarre thing to, I think, outsiders. But it, it's something especially Muslim South Asians are very, very into. No, no, kind no, of no, as no, a way yeah. of... Well, well, but it, kind it's of as a, I meant specifically... This, this, is, this is the Muslim brown version of Cherokee princess. <laughs> okay yeah or or, uh yeah what's the one but i mean she's not oppressed though like you're not oppressed you're just you're actually like superior somehow because you know arabs are are superior um i I mean part of it is because of the the religious background like being muslim there's something about there's uh the fact that the the quran was revealed in arabic and and you know in a particular part of the world to muhammad like that has all these implications about uh the the you know the the best people out there, although it is never explicitly um, stated that way. That's how it's interpreted. Um, so South South Asian Muslims often have a, a kind of an inferiority complex that's also merged with the the superiority complex of you know actually really really being Irani or Iraqi or 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 what have you. So yeah, yeah. But also, so there, the, also there's like a you know Megan might know this, maybe she doesn't. Um, I don't know what they know in the literary world, Megan. But um, you know, there's a there's a skin color very issue, um, and you know, uh, Iranians, for example, look down on well, they look down on Arabs actually, but they also look down on South Asians, subcontinental people because they're dark skin, mm-hmm. you know, they're black and stuff like that. So it's a kind of way to distance yourself from the natives, uh, right? But I mean, yeah. the problem is uh, most. I mean, there are exceptions, but most um, South Asian Muslims, they look exactly what they are. And so it's just kind of embarrassing, you know, Um, my opinion is cringe. That's what I would say. Um, I did have a funny story related to this. Um, A guy that I know from Bihar, Muslim family, the family are Sayyids on the dad's side and non-Sayyid, but they have some, you know, whatever, Arab or Iranian. Megan doesn't know what Sayyid is. Megan doesn't Uh, know what Sayyid is. I know who Edward Sayyid is. She's a Kufar. She's a Kufar. I forgot. Uh, (laughs) It's a descendant of the Prophet. Descendant of the Prophet. And by the way, Ali Rizvi is a Sayyid and he's genetically a Sayyid. I checked. Okay. So can you check my genetics as well? Because I I, I need to know this. Uh, Because my family is very big about that. I need to check your father because you do not have a Y chromosome. Okay. Okay. So I'll get you my father's and then you'll be able to tell me and then I will feel superior. Okay, so okay, so Ali is <laughs> even uh, more than she is, already does. That's he's, he's descended, right? He's descended from Ali. Epic. But this guy, um, I like you know got his results. So I'm like, yeah, you're 25 percent uh, like West Asian, like mixed mostly Iranian, blah blah. He's like, yeah, that's what I was expecting. Maybe a little bit of Arab, whatever. Um, because a lot of the there's actually not that much Arab ancestry in the subcontinent. Like most of these Sayyids are actually Iranian. Um, so in any mm-hmm. case, um. Most of them are fake too, but that's a separate issue. This guy mm-hmm. was fake. Um, it turned out he was half Brahmin. And oh. uh, I was like, what's going on here? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you know, like I can't go back to the message board that my family's running about our genealogy and tell them this. And so I was like, he's like, uh, like what my Y, my y chromosome is it? Is it J1 Muhammad? You know, because that's it's a J1, that's a, that's a letter. And, and I'm like, no, it's R1A. Um, your dad's the Brahmin. So what happened wow. was some Brahmins converted to Islam, and the deal was we'll just say you can we'll, we'll let you say that you descend from Muhammad, 
That's obviously what happened. I think I remember oh. you telling me this theory before. So it's like a plo- it's a ploy to keep that that high social status um, that you would have if you are a descendant of the prophet. Yeah, yeah if quite if clearly you're, what happened. <laughs> that's so interesting to me. Um, wow. Yeah, my fam- my family claims Sayyid status. You say it's Sayyid, but I say Sayyid. But yeah, we, I, I'm, we, I'm pretty co- I'm pretty coconut. So I yeah. I say everything like a white person. Big time. Do you speak any non English languages? You don't. Yeah, I can speak. I can speak Bengali, but not well. You can. Okay. Like a five-year-old. Okay. okay. Well, that's is that's the, fine. Is there any uh like other version of being descended from the prophet? Like, are people wanting to be descended from Jesus, sort of thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, seriously, well, but he didn't have. <laughs> no, no, James no, no. Had, but like, James had other, descendants. No. James had descendants. The brother of oh, Jesus. Oh, of course. Okay, that's true. He didn't. He was child free. Jesus. I forgot no, about I that. Okay. I don't think so. So this descendant from the prophet thing matters because <laughs> Arabs are a, a patrilineal uh, tribal people, and so okay. they really care about these lineages. And it's not just the prophet. Like, I have a okay. I have, I have a bunch. I have like I could just go on forever on genetic stories. So I have a friend. The TLDR is um, he's in academia. He passed as Jewish for twenty years uh, just to fit in. It's actually his his biological father is Saudi and his biological mother, the mother he was raised with, with a stepdad, is uh, just Scotch-Irish, white American from Appalachia. And so he looks kind of Jewish. And he got mistaken for being Jewish during grad school interviews and he felt accepted, which he hadn't because he was like a nerdy kid from really rural area who was kind of dark-skinned. Right. And so he kind of let himself pass. Um and then, like, in his 40s, he came out of the closet as half Arab because what happened is he told me his Y chromosome. And I'm just like, wait a second, that's an Arab Y chromosome. Like, I thought you were a Jewish person. And he's like, no, I've been letting people think that. Uh, but he's, he's actually related. Um, he is part of the clan, the same clan of uh, the royal family of Qatar. Uh, they're not Karish, so they're not related to, you know, the Banu Hashim or the family of the Prophet. Anyway, they're a different clan, just like the Sauds are a different clan. And these clans go back like thousands of years. And yeah. um, the Arab women, they do not, like, they do not cheat. They cannot. Okay. Yeah, they just, don't date out. The social control. <laughs> the social control is very good. Like geneticists have confirmed this, uh, oh. and so um, you know, I put a hadith that Muhammad had about his family on Facebook, and all of his like uh, Appalachian um, Facebook friends from high school were really confused. <laughs> anyway, just uh, Wait, you, you find out all sorts of funny stories. Uh, a hadith. What is that? Uh, hadith. It's um. It's a. It's a. Uh, another kind of scripture. It's not the Quran. They're the sayings of the prophet. Uh, it's another kind of holy scripture in Islam. Okay. So now, there's okay, a lot so you're learning, Megan. This is, I know, very, I've, I'm, um, this is like, I'm overwhelmed though. So, but so as a geneticist, it's sort of more interesting and more uh, fruitful to study like people of Middle Easterns or Southeast Asians or Muslims in general, because there's less intermingling. The women are the, the whatever. The paternity is not in question as often. No, it's questioned Sorry. all the time. Um, right. So I happen, I just, I happen to know this, um, this, so I worked in, I work in genetic, I work in genetics and I know that there are companies, um, they do Y chromosomes. So the paternal lineage, they do deep sequencing and analysis of these for wealthy Arabs. And um, I did ask a friend of mine, I'm like, do you ever feel any ethical qualm? Because if it's found out that that there's a paternity misattribution event, which means that the father is, you are not the father, right. um, the, the consequences will be horrible. And my friend yeah. just looked at me and he's like, that has never happened in the 20 years that I have done this with Arabs. 
Oh, wow. Wow. Which wow, basically, wow, so wow. he has like a clean conscience because like they have excellent social control. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah. That's, one that's way a nice way it. of putting it. That's a great way of putting it, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, Look, if they, if they don't leave the house. Yeah, if they don't leave the house, they don't know any other men. Uh, no other man yeah. looks at them, sure. Yeah, it works. Um, wow. Uh, well, so I, I have, I, I, so I have, I have like a really quick story. Also, um, about a, 10 years ago, a British group went to the Middle East. I think this was Dubai. And they did a quick study on, a, on uh, the, the local population. And... Um, they thought that they'd made an error because they were the most inbred population they had ever seen. Like um, they were outside of the um, rat, the, you know, you do like an interval. And if it's outside that interval, you probably made a coding error or mm-hmm. there's some sort of contamination. It wasn't. They were just extremely inbred. And so the British team had to tell the sheik that his people were extremely inbred and they were terrified. So they drew straws and they had one guy, you know, like, like present the results because they were getting paid a lot for this consulting gig, their academics. And the sheik just was like, oh, so what you're trying to say is our women were true to us. Because they know <laughs> that they married their cousins. Because <laughs> if they weren't inbred. I, I love when people are optimistic. It's all about how you frame things. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the point of getting like... a of getting your genetics looked at like is it what's the point of doing a 23 and me i've never done it like is there is it just I, some mostly people, curiosity i think mostly some people are interested in disease related things about 10 percent of people find things that are disease related i would say in the direct-to-consumer genomics uh field that um that would be actionable you know um like i have a friend who who found out that he has a 50 percent chance of having like some pretty intense macular degeneration by the time he's 40 uh, no, 50, I mean. So uh, he's actually going to an ophthalmologist much more regularly now. Stuff like that. Um, if you're uh, adopted. That would drive you crazy. Is there anything yeah, you can do about, about that? But then you're just uh, like, I'm going blind all the time. That's Okay, okay. So no, I have like a legit story that is actually pretty sad, but it's a real story from a friend of mine. Um, guys in Germany. In Germany, they don't like to do genetic testing. They don't like to do anything in genetics. They have some history of that. Um, and so, <laughs> Yeah. That's it's that's I'm not joking actually. It's yeah, totally yeah. true. They just don't like to do things with genetics and they're super skeeved by it. So my friend noticed that his infant, like or his like toddler, I guess he was one, son was acting strange and was like, Can I get him checked out? Can I get him checked out? Um, he just looks like he can't see things correctly, like does he need glasses? Okay, so it turned out that he had a genetic condition um, that is going to cause blindness. Okay. It's like it's not retinoblastoma, but it's one of those. And, um, you know, it's a, he was pre-verbal, so he couldn't tell the, the doctors what was going on. If he had gotten the genetic test, they would have known and they would have been able to intervene so that he probably had a chance to be legally blind, but he could still see color and other things and shapes and mm-hmm. whatever. Um, as it is, they delayed. They never knew what was going on until he could tell them. And oh he's going to be totally blind by the time he's like, like now, I think he is totally blind. Uh, oh, it's a sad story, yeah, actually. But this is a case where if you did a genetic testing at birth, which they're starting to do now, um, you would have predicted that immediately and could have aggressively intervened to prevent that child from actually, I guess, progressing all the way to blindness. Mm. So I read anyway. that you, that's a really sad story. I read that you did a genetic sequence on your child in utero. Yeah, he's the first in the history of the world. 
to be born alive. Yeah. Um, so n- nothing interesting, super healthy. Uh, you know, he's a handsome kid uh, today. Uh, he has high visual spatial IQ. Um, you know, he could work a little bit on the verbal part. But anyway, um, he's great. He's a great kid. But how did you but, yeah, do that but, and why? What, what uh, was did, involved? We, it was, I basically, um, in, uh, you know, intimidated the lab to like sending a sample back and I sequenced my son uh, on a machine that was also sequencing an exotic Portuguese mushroom. Um, so I'm a geneticist, <laughs> so I have, <laughs> okay, everyone always says like, how could you tell that your son's not part mushroom? But those sequence reads are very different. <laughs> okay, it's not that difficult to segregate what mushrooms. What if you had gotten the results reversed? Would you have been like, oh my God. You would have I would have to talk to my I would have I would have had to talk to my wife like seriously yeah. about what happened. Yeah. But but yeah, I was I just did it because like I just did it because it was possible. Um and I was like, okay, like if someone hasn't done it, I should do it. And I did it. And um word got out because I asked a professor how to do it, who has been doing very close similar things. And I later told him because he was we re, he followed up and I said, oh, I figured it out. Uh, I basically uh, I basically went to Twitter and started complaining about the lab, and so then they called and they sent the data to me. They sent the sample to me oh. to get me off their case, um, and then I sent it to the sequencing facility, and then I got the raw data back. But you know, to do it all by yourself is really difficult unless you have hookups. Uh, so. You know, I think now it's more feasible, but, you know, this is 2014. It was not. Um, I just, I did it because I could. Um, and maybe I shouldn't have. A lot of people were mad, but uh, I thought it was cool. <laughs> Why were they mad? Uh, I don't know. Because no one had done it. And some people were saying, like, well, like, he didn't give the fetus, didn't have consent. And that's, and I'm just like, you know, at that stage, like, we could have, like, taken, like, a screwdriver and, like, sucked his brains out. So. You know, yeah. I don't. I don't really understand the problem with that. Also, it's like you know, the the journalist Antonio Regalado who reported on it because Jay, the, the scientist, told Antonio that I'd done it. Um, he, I pointed out to him, like you know, you can circumcise boys and without their consent. He left that out because he's like, that's too controversial. I mean, it's a good point, but it's too controversial. You know. Uh, I mean, yeah. I I just had that conversation recently with a uh um um an ex-Muslim um, co-worker who is going through that. She has, she is uh, going to have a boy. She's expecting a boy and uh, she's not out to her family. So they're about to have a conversation. <laughs> so she uh, doesn't, my, uh, she, she doesn't want to circumcise. She doesn't want the kid circumcised. Yeah. And uh, the, the, her family expects it. Yeah. So this is uh, going to be news. Um, uh, so, yeah. so here's, uh, Sarah, Sarah will appreciate it. Uh, but, uh, so, you know, I'm from the West coast, so, uh, obviously, uh, uh, yeah, my wife and I are not into that. Okay. So, um, so my mom is like, uh, my sons were like taking a bath one day and she's like, they look like Hindus. <laughs> <laughs> Hindus don't circumcise. No. Okay. No, and uh, it's unclean, also. <coughs> right. So, so Rosie, your family, bath. your family is Muslim, or or you, but you were, but you weren't really, you weren't really raised that way. Yeah. I mean, I was nominally raised that way. Like we went to Eid al Fatr and stuff, and my dad taught me some surahs. I can still do surah Fatiha and some other stuff, but he was busy 
it, they weren't like super religious. I mean, now my dad's got like a terrorist beard. I shouldn't say that, but I'm just not a fan <laughs> of it. It just scares me. It's, when I, it's, when I it's the tally beard. It's a tally beard. That's what I, that's what I like. Yeah. That's what yeah, I call he's got, it. He's got some, he's got some orange going on. I'm just like, dude, like I'm not going to get on a plane with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the optics. <laughs> um, so you wouldn't call yourself uh, like an ex-Muslim. That's not, uh, I, I don't care what people call me, but people have called me that. And uh, mm-hmm. I just will tell them, usually privately, just like, I never believed in that stuff. So I don't have like the same experiences. Yeah. Does that yeah, make sense? As someone who's believed in that. I, don't, I yeah. don't have like the same psychic rupture. Like sometimes right. I talk to religious people and it's kind of interesting. It's like, uh, it's like believing in Lord of the Rings, except it's real. Which is kind of great, actually, like when you're in it. Um, th- there yeah. are aspects of me that miss belief. Um, th- psychologically, what it, what it gave me, it's aspects of it, right? Not entirely, but they're, they're bits, of pe- bits and pieces that are more than just comforting, like fun almost. Um, but so I'm going to, uh, 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 you know, segue into some of your Twitter experiences. I've noticed, you know, across the years that you've been, you you have this interesting relationship with Hindu Twitter and they're either like, they seem respectful of you, but at the same time going after you sometimes. Um, Well, I mean, look, look, Sarah, I'm a con. (laughs) They better be respectful. You know what happens when a Hindu speaks up to a con? (laughs) No, and neither, no, I do, but (laughs) The people listening to this do not. Yeah, yeah you might get, uh, you're gonna have Hindu Twitter after you after they hear that. Oh, no, I don't no. want that. I, I, they I don't are like the crazy. That. They are crazy. That's the one group you, I don't have hating me. So that's the one group you don't want really hating you. Like you oh, think really? you think yeah, there is no other part of Twitter that is as capable <laughs> of forming a completely like deranged mob and just. You will just get hate and vitriol at you for days. Really? Say all Hindu kinds of Twitter. Stuff. Hindu Twitter, yeah. There's a like Hindu national Twitter. We should we should we should clarify because uh, there, there's gonna be Hindus that are mad at us. But there's like a nationalist strain of of um like in Hindu politics and in Indian politics, and they are very online. They are very aggressive. They don't have any of the restrictions that like you know, a uh, Western kind of sociability like has in terms of we're not going to attack somebody based on their race or sex or any of that. They're going to go mm-hmm. all out, all out 100, like KKK direct, like at you. Um, and it is, it is, well, it's an experience, let's say. Um, wow. Yeah. I've been okay. on the wrong side of them a Wait, couple of Sa- times. Sarah, it's Sarah, been- Sarah. So here's a, just make it, uh, you know what they really triggers them? I'm pretty good at triggering them. Uh, when they're like talking at me, I just tell them the foot does not talk to the mouth. Then they flip out. <laughs> explain, explain, please. Yeah, explain that. Uh, do you know what the laws of Manu are? Okay, so laws of Manu, like, it, you know, it's where like kind of like the hierarchical aspect of the caste system comes from. And so um, the mouth is the Brahmin, the mouth of the brain. The arms are the warrior, the Kshatriya, the... Uh, the um what is it the uh the chest and kind of like the thighs or the vashya the commoners and i think the feet are the sudra so basically i'm like i'm being castist against them so they flip out mm-hmm. why do they but why are they mad at you about like 
there's stuff that I've seen you say about caste that seems to make people angry, but I never understood the details of that. It, of what was yeah, going it's, on. it's complicated. Uh, basically, um, you know, and this also includes Pakistan, by the way, uh, but doesn't include Bangladesh. Uh, and notice the way I said those countries, totally whitewashed. And I, I refuse to apologize for that. But um, uh, so... I do too. I do too. I say Pakistan all the time. Okay. Okay. And then I switch over. Um, I listen to Barack Obama and then I remember what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> what are you supposed to say? Wait, explain this just quickly. Pakistan. Oh, yeah, it's I like see. Paki- oh, it's okay. Pakistan. Like it's Pakistan and Pakistani and... Bangladesh and Bangladeshi. I was at a tech event. I was at a tech event and this guy, uh, he works in space, but um, he was in the Marines and he did something in Bangladesh and he kept like talking about Bangladesh and he's like, where are you from? And I said, Bangladesh. And he's like, you mean Bangladesh? And I was like, oh my God. Dude, bro, <laughs> that was an SNL sketch back in the 80s, by the way. Nicaragua. <laughs> I'm not going to say it that way. <laughs> yep. And it's like, everyone's staring at us because we're having like a pronunciation off <laughs> anyway <laughs> but um the, the, so the casting the casting is like um you know like there are some hindus uh who say that oh it's like invented by the british and a lot of people actually uh nicholas dirks the former chancellor of berkeley wrote a book called casts of mind which is you know the british census really reified the caste system and stuff well what happened is about 20 years ago geneticists started looking and so what they found is that's all lies. Um, it turns out historians and critics were just making things up and that they have not been intermarrying for 2,000 years to the point mm. where I've talked to multiple geneticists who privately approached me and asked me what's wrong with Indians because it really shouldn't be physically possible for humans not to copulate with other groups that much <laughs> i don't know exactly it's it's said in a really vulgar way but basically it's like you're a biologist you have certain expectations of uh, gene flow put it that way right um so like how can like two people two like casts live in the same village and they're genetically as different as Finns and sicilians which is a real example right wow um it's it's actually not mm. shouldn't be real mm. i mean it, like it mm. would be like a science fiction world where there's like these non-interbreeding caste systems. So, I mean, I think the statistic is like uh, 0.1 to 0.5% uh, outmarriage per generation, which is really low, you know? So wow. uh, they get mad because it does turn out Brahmins are genetically different than Dalits who are genetically different than all these other groups. And it also turns out that because they've been doing this, uh, endogamy, there's a lot of genetic diseases uh, in the in the South Asian population. Um, Pakistanis have the same problem. Um, the cousin marriage is a problem, but it's not just cousin marriage. Uh, basically, um, I could talk in statistics, but it's easier to talk in visualizations. When you um, when you do like genetic relatedness estimates uh, for say I don't know Chinese, and you do it on a two dimensional plot. So that's how you visualize it. It just looks like a big fuzzy ball. And that means it's like all random, like everyone's mating with everyone else, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. When you do British people, it's kind of like that. And actually when you do Bangladeshis, it's kind of like that. Okay, so these are random mating populations. There's not much structure. When you do Indians or Pakistanis, they look like these zigzag lines and like there's huge empty spots on the map. And that basically means there's like all of this variation within this population. And there's a lot of like, like endogamous groups. So the way mm. it's easy to explain is like India is like the subcontinent, Indian subcontinent, because again, this includes Pakistan, uh, is like like a thousand different 
ethnic groups that are like Ashkenazi Jews, right? So it's not like one ethnicity. It's like a thousand different ethnicities. And so in Hindu nationalists don't like it because they want to be unified. And so they don't mm. want to know, some of them don't want to know that they're genetically, uh, that they've been doing this for this long because that was an Orientalist myth. Now, some of mm -hmm. them are caste supremacists and they kind of like it because yeah. they think they're smarter the, and more beautiful and people all that at the stuff. Top, yeah. Yeah, so there's yeah. some like Brahmin usually, but sometimes Rajput, whatever. Um, yeah. So there's stuff like that going on. And then sometimes I have to tell people uh, stuff that they, for whatever reason, don't want to know. Like, I don't know, like, oh, yeah, you're 100% South Asian, even though you're an upper class Muslim from Delhi. I don't know. Like, they don't yeah. want to know that, yeah. right? There's, yeah. well, has, has someone done like the, like, uh, uh, what are the percentages of like all the Indian CEOs that we're that we're now mm -hmm. <laughs> used to um, of multinational corporations, but but especially tech corporations? Um, how many of them are Rajputs or Brahmin? I think they're mostly Brahmin and Bania. Yeah. So the the Twitter guy was Bania, and then the two mostly South Indian Brahmins, not North Indian Brahmins. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think the guys, uh, the Microsoft guy, I think it's Satya Nadala and Sundar. Pachai, they're both South Indian Brahmins. I think one of them is a Tamil Brahmin, one of them is a uh, Telugu Brahmin. And I think they went to the same private school, actually, okay. uh, in India, right. uh, in Bangalore. Yeah. So it's like the same group of people. It tends to be that the Brahmins uh, are become CEOs in administrative roles and the Banias, uh, this is the merchant caste, uh, like, like, some, like something like nine out of ten of the like richest people in India are Banias. So they're a merchant caste from Rajasthan and Gujarat in the West, uh, Megan. And uh, they uh, they tend to do more entrepreneurial stuff. So they start their own businesses and they have these family-owned conglomerates, right? So uh, everything is really specialized that way. Um, but yeah, the, the the American Indian Americans are not representative of India at all. Like one reason, yeah, not at all. Yeah, I, I got that all. idea. Because so, they're talking about they're talking about like caste discrimination, um, and this is all made up. It's all made up by a nonprofit. Uh, like I said, like, I just like tell the truth, like it's made up, like I'm seeing a lie in a propaganda, like a lie being manufactured right in front of my very eyes. And like my friends who work in tech are asking me about caste discrimination because they're like white or Asian, East Asian. They don't know anything about this. Where are the lower castes? In, in... They're back in India. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're not, they don't come here. <laughs> yeah. They just don't. I mean, it's like I've never. Yeah. I don't, I I've never I don't, met. I never run into. Yeah, so like 20% of Hindus, 20% of Hindus are Dalits, right? Like 15 to 20% are Dalits. In the United States, it's 1%. Like I've seen multiple surveys. It's like 1% or less. Uh, about 5% of Indians are Brahmin. It's 25% in the United States. About 40% yeah. of Indians in India are subject to no affirmative action. In the United States, it's 80%. It's 80 Right. So it's every, most people here are upper caste. And the people that are not upper caste are well off anyway, too. So basically, it just, you know... There's no yeah. discrimination here because there's no one to discriminate against. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting also to see the the Indian Americans like buy into like like capture all the like the, the woke language and feel so aggrieved. And yeah. I want to be able to insert that. Um, that context. They're POCs. Well, they're people. Yeah. They're people of color. They're marginalized. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Um, well, what are some of the other lies that you refuse to tell? <laughs> You're gonna try to okay. Don't get us in too much trouble. Don't get no, okay. No, don't. That's a very open-ended question. That's a choose your own answer. I'm sure there are choose your examples. own adventure. I guess choose yeah, our I'll adventure too. Because we can get in trouble. Here's, 
no, but here's an easy one, which is like not super controversial. It's not, 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 not the worst, not the most radioactive, but you know, I mean, like in academia, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of like closeted conservatives and I was never closeted, which means that I would have to like argue against the whole room, you know, which mm-hmm. it can be stressful yeah. for a lot of people, but I'm, I'm okay it's with emotion- it. You know, I mean, it's just labor. like, I can handle it. Um, but like, you know, like, like people would be like, we need more diversity. And I'm like, I don't really care. And they're like, what do you hmm. care about? And I'm like, the truth. If yeah. it's like a hundred white guys, that's fine. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is not the United Nations. Like we're t- trying to solve the mysteries of the universe. So I don't really care about representation. I don't care about different, there are no different viewpoints. There's one truth, one reality, right? So that's got me in trouble. But this is like mostly an academia, like far left thing. Um, among say like, uh, <laughs> um, so I'm pro-choice, but I'm moderate. Uh, I would say like, uh, in terms of like first trimester, I think it should be totally legal. Then let's talk about the rest. Right. But you know, I'm conservative. I write for national review. Uh, I'm in like conservative chat groups. And so when the pro-lifers like act like everyone's pro-life, I'll just be like, yeah, I'm not, you know, they're like, oh, you think, you know, this should happen. And I was just like, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and that like causes problems because, but it's like, I'm not in politics. Like I can say whatever I want. It's not how I make my bread and butter. Uh, I'm not going to yeah. like keep my mouth shut because that's just, you know, what's the point? Well, so um, w- we understand that you were briefly employed by the New York Times as a columnist. Uh, can you tell yeah. us uh, what went on there? Yeah, uh, I think I can tell now like a little bit more detailed than seven years ago. Uh, so, you know, Ross Douthit, uh I was on a list of people he recommended and I turned around copy extremely fast when they tested me around. And my first column was the most emailed for four days. So they were what just was like, it about? Go, uh, cats and evolution. Oh, my second cats. Column was that's, about, a, that's a no brainer. Anything about cats is go, gets the most. Well, I was, I was for a little emailed. while for a year. I was the world's most like probably the world's like, uh, I knew the most about uh, population genetics of domestic cats. That was my project for a year. Anyway, so, <laughs> I knew, yeah, I knew a lot about that topic. I don't know why um, you're I not more don't. famous, honestly. That's like, I don't know why you're not on every TED stage. Hey, that's... I have a Wikipedia entry, okay? So that's famous. I, so uh, do we. But, uh, so do we. That means nothing. Means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We've, that's, yeah. That's, okay. I, do you guys I, have a controversy section? No. I do. Weirdly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Sarah, so that's what probably, I. That's what I need. Well, I should have one. I guess the whole just entry go in and is, edit like, it. Just go in and edit it yourself and <sighs> make your own controversy section. No. Okay. Like on yeah. in in 2021, Sarah had a Twitter thread that yeah. got a lot of yeah. Okay, I can do it. Okay. Um, okay. So you you were you wrote about cats. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you know they liked it. I turned around copy fast. Uh, I was actually in grad school at the time. It was actually like probably like number six on my things to worry about. Um, in terms of to think about yeah because i had a little kid my daughter was little then grad school figure out like my papers all this stuff and i got this email just out of the blue and i asked a couple of friends if it was legit and they're like yeah so i did that and then in the spring they're like we want to offer you a contract and i said did you guys google me and they're like oh it's fine don't worry about it we checked and i was like okay because like okay. <laughs> i'm not gonna like harass you about it if you googled me and you're like okay you wait know? what year and is so, this this is seven years ago this was this i think was this is 2015 okay okay right on the edge okay yeah and so um anyway they announced me along with 20 people and then um i have 
yeah, I don't want to get into the details, but I have a woman who's been stalking me since 2007, Nancy. Ugh, and uh, I think she's are. on SSI or something. And so she does a lot of research on me. And sometimes, like, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to say this because she's probably listening. No, I'm not going to say it because like, she's made some mistakes. <laughs> Wait, she's an, is she an actress? It. What do you mean she's on SSI? What do you mean? Wait, no, a not social the show. security not supplemental. CSI. Or oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought yeah. you, I, I was thinking CSI. I know, she's a playwright sorry. in New York. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get she into it. She was on the X-Files. Listening. I know she's listening. So, anyway, so she's, um, everyone knows who she is. Like, she stalks a lot of people. Like, she's really obsessed with Steven Pinker. But, uh, so. Oh, I know who this ha- is. Yeah, you yeah. know exactly. You know who I know who this yes. is. Yeah. Yes. She's crazy. Yeah. Why are you talking about her? <laughs> like, that's going to draw her, that's going to draw her here. Okay, maybe you can yeah, okay, go ahead. Go I want to hear the story. <laughs> okay, we'll hear the story no, she, and then so maybe we'll let it out. Of all the controversial bad things that I said back, going back to the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, then Jamel Bowie found it. And Jamel's, that guy's smart. He's been tracking me since 2009 or 2010 or so. Uh, and so he always like uh, attacks people if they retweet me or sends nasty notes to them i know because my friends have told me um Mm -hmm. anyway um anyway so he started blasting at me about like my evil views you know yeah i'm friends with charles murray that's what i'm gonna say okay uh charles murray has been reading me okay so let's just put it that way uh and so uh i'm like i don't i mean they said they Googled me. And so uh, Sewell, who was the editor, op-ed editor at the time, oh, Sewell Chan, uh, yeah. he calls me up and he's just like, well, you know, this stuff has been disproven. I'm like, Sewell, you're just a journalist. You're not going to tell me. You know, I was just like straight up with him. Like, I don't care what you say. You know, you don't know this stuff. I know this stuff, you know, because uh, that's just how I am. You know, I'm not going to. And he's like, well, can you say this and this? And I'm like, I'm not going to say anything that I think is a lie. And so I, I kind of said a few things that were kind of like... I don't remember what I said, but it was like, I didn't lie, but there was, I was kind of trying to mollify things. And I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. Like these people are stupid anyway. You know, like, I I don't know. Sorry. No offense. Just like a lot of the media people are just dumb. You know, no offense, Megan. Yeah, this is, Oh, this was in 2015 because I remember they were hiring a bunch of columnists. Is this when they, this is when they brought in like Roxanne Gay. At that time, I think she, I think that might was be. I, it the, was like twenty of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. And this. so, but you know, then Sue calls me up and he's like, "It's not going to work." And and I was like, "Okay, that's fine." And he was like, "You know, he kind kind of was apologetic." But I was like, "You know, it's fine. Like, I have like test to grade. You know, uh, so you know that was that." And then it wasn't like you know it wasn't like super complicated. Like they really just didn't do their due diligence, honestly. Mm. Just, you know, because like it's like I did. I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. You know, I, I'm do you doing, think I, they I, liked yeah. it? Did they have um, people in your identity category? Did they they liked it that you were the ethnicity? They and liked it. That you okay, were. I can say that they liked it that I was conservative and an atheist. Yeah. So it. Oh, okay. And that. Okay. And yes. Brown. I don't think the brown right? part counts. Not really. I uh, I think uh, it might well for newspaper op-ed writers. I think it might because it's not you. Don't, you don't see do, a lot. You can. I think you can do the head count. I, I don't know. I, I think I don't, you don't see a lot of Southeast Asian newspaper columns. We're not Southeast Asian. We're South Asian. Okay. Oh, Southeast sorry. Asian is totally sorry, sorry. Okay. I, that, That's like I, a serious I, ma- microaggression. I know. I'm really dumb about these things. Obviously. I mean, I thought. I think. I thought. Well, because you're not educated. It's true. Um, you need, you um, no, I, I am. I, my my background is total like trailer trash, like hillbilly. I I'm a. I haven't done twenty three in me. 
because uh, I just maybe I'm like subconsciously afraid to or something. I don't know. I think it would like, be interesting. I always like think I, white people have some interesting results because they're they're more mixed. They'll have like a whole. <laughs> but I feel like it might not be mixed. Like you know what I mean. <laughs> we're we're from the Ozarks, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, um, no, I I know exactly what you mean. I'm Pakistani. Pakistani. Uh, so um, okay, so they fired. So they just didn't. So you you filed one column, and they they said it's not going to work out. Yeah, two, but two, uh, two columns. Okay. Uh, ah. Yeah. Yeah, so you know it was it was it was a quick turnaround, uh, and it was fine, not a big deal. Uh, it kind of fell into my lap, so I didn't uh, go seek it, and so I didn't like have an endowment effect problem. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I had other stuff going on. I was busy with, yeah. So yeah, it wasn't that big yeah. of a deal. Um, sometimes people thought it was because I guess they aspired to do things like that, but I never did. So, well, are you, know, you don't employed lose what you by? A uni- yes. Are you employed by a university? Like no, who's no, no, your no, 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 no. That that's not. That would not be feasible with with who I am. Okay. Um, okay. I, I was. Yeah, I have a startup. Um, I'm, I'm employed by myself, and so uh, you know, it's it'd probably be easier if I kept my head down. But I just I, I, I'm not constitutionally capable. <laughs> you you can think that's genetic? You can just, you can just log off. <laughs> do you think that? Okay. Do you think that people who are disagreeable and contrarian? Do you think there's a genetic component to that? Yeah, it's heritable. Disagreeable. The big five, the big, there's, so disagreeability is one of the big five personality characteristics. I'm very high openness, very high disagreeability, low neuroticism, medium 50th percentile in conscientiousness. And then what's the other one? There's another one. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, all of those are heritable. That's like mine, but I'm, I'm a little higher in neuroticism. Yeah, I thought there's so, a sex difference on that. Males are lower yeah, on eroticism. Yeah. yeah, let's talk yeah. about the sex differences here. So, um, what? Who's smarter, men or women? <laughs> He'll get I mean, my understanding is that men are smarter on highly. It's it's on the tails, right? So men yeah, are more highly smart and highly dumb. Yeah, that's the thing. That yes, the, yes. So basically, we have like a, we're fat-tailed uh, distribution. Um, averages are similar. There's some arguments about some of the standardization and corrections, and maybe, uh, but I, I don't know the abstru- that's kind of abstruse psychometric literature. I don't know the details on that, but I do know that the distribution because you can just look at it, you can eyeball it, and you can say that you can see that we're fat-tailed. You know, um, in mm-hmm. terms of like you go three oh, to yeah. four standard deviations, and it's just like all dudes and you go like two standard deviations and it starts to get to be a sausage fest below two standard deviations, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I have heard that women are a little bit smarter on average, like in the middle there. Does that sound right? Like overall, is that your average woman is going to be higher IQ than your average man by a, by a little bit. Wait, can you repeat that again? Okay. So like on average. Yeah. Okay. So, like if you're just in the middle of the curve, women on average are a little bit higher IQ than men on average. That men are exist at the extremes, but mm-hmm. in the middle, women are slightly higher IQ. Okay, so that so this is this. I think the issue that you're talking about is, uh, I think the technical term is kurtosis, but it's, it's skewness. Uh, so like if the distribution is more symmetrical. Um, whereas the male distribution, I think, is kind of um, weighted to the bottom end in terms of how it works. I, 
all I'm trying to say is statistically, like I'm thinking of distributions. That makes sense, actually. And it just has to do with the shape of the curves. So to speak. <laughs> women. Okay. So, so, okay. But I, I always wonder, I mean, I have no concept or understanding of any of this, but I wonder what, horm- what, what role hormones plays in, in, um, sort of expressed in intelligence, um, and whether that's there's been any kind of movement in in measuring that because it's definitely the case that when I went through you know pregnancy I felt different I felt that if I had taken you know a a an, an a, a a test of like cognitive abilities that I would have tested differently you know at different times of my pregnancy and perhaps differently um, you know immediately after labor. Um, and even maybe, maybe months after labor and maybe, you know, me post, uh, having children is, would, would test differently than me, um, before motherhood. And I wonder if there, has there been any kind of work done here? Is there any kind of information here or are we like going too far from your specialty? Yeah. So I I don't know about the hormones thing. Um, I will know that uh, I do know that there are some like, genetic there are some genetic um so turner syndrome is where you have one x chromosome and those women tend to have like very very low math iq but their verbal is okay uh so there's something that happens with uh you know yes the hormonal mix that obviously is affecting you um i believe i believe fetuses uh, that went through some sort of masculinization, female fetuses that went through, like in terms of like excess testosterone, you can do it by digit ratio. Um, they tend to be better in visual spatial. So male and f- males and females have like somewhat different cognitive profiles is the way to explain it. And so, you know, males tend to be a little bit more visual spatial oriented, females more verbal, and that can be mixed around based on uh, the testosterone estrogen mix, I think. I don't know about the details of... Um, like over your lifetime based on that mm-hmm. sort of thing, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I've yeah. actually like never seen a study that's like uh, comparing pregnant to non-pregnant women. That would be interesting. Someone but to me, that. it sounds, it's it's very, like I, I think I've looked into it a little bit. There's only like recently people have started to look into like um, the changes that happen like cognitively, like there were, there were some studies about gray matter and then other and other stuff. I think there's more recent stuff I was reading um, that came out, but I, I don't think that this is something that's, that anyone spends a lot of time on. And to me, it's pretty, I guess maybe this is one of those things that where, where I do feel like stuff that impacts women a lot more, maybe a lot more than men, um, is neglected. But at the same time, of course, men have hormones too. And surely that has, um, that has an effect and maybe, you know, studying women can shed light on that. Okay. You had a blog a long time ago, um, and now you have a Substack, um, but you 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 know about the the golden era of of blogging, um, and you know c- can you uh, describe to me because I only I was introduced to that because I'm younger than you. I, I um, when I was in high school and college, I like end of high school and college, I started I found this like intellectual world of blogs. Um, and these kind of communities of blogs, like little atheist ones, little scientist, scientific ones, and and general nerd 
you know, uh, uh, blog circles, which were really interesting. And I think I caught like the tail end of that. And after that, they kind of disappeared. It might have been social media that killed it. And now it seems that, you know, with Substack, there's, it, it, you know, is it reviving? Is there, is there that, that community, that world that's coming back? Or do you think that it's never really going to come back? I'll go backwards. Uh, yes, it is, I think. Um, some people are explicit about it. Like Noah Smith has said it's coming back. He's on Substack as well. And I mean, look, Noah Smith is making $500,000 a year. Okay. Definitely came back for him. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's an aspiration, right? Uh, but um, yeah, it, it disappeared for a while. So what, and I've been like at it actually since 2002, uninterrupted. Uh, it was social media. Um, it did peak around like 2007. And then social media started sapping it away. And, you know, but I think it had its moment with the Iraq war and other stuff and just kind of the novelty of the medium. And then it turned out that most people do not have intelligent long form thoughts because they're not very intelligent or well informed. Uh, so that's sort of in, be- in in between. Like I'm just, it's true, right? Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're better for Twitter, uh, you know, kind of low IQ takes or midwit takes. Uh, and so, hey, 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 no. yeah, uh, hey, I'm on Twitter too. The broad I'm on Twitter brush, too, but I'm just, I, I'm just saying, I'm the brush. But sometimes it's you know the distribution. I'm talking about the distribution. Um, so that that peeled away a lot of people. But you know, obviously there are magazines and newspapers. They're still there, but the the blogging in between area kind of disappeared mostly and then i think a lot of people are sick of social media and so i think that's why it's coming back because there's kind of a cycle of exhaustion and the toxicity is you know annoying a lot of people especially people who aren't sociopaths uh (laughs) unfortunately so people are just leaving and they want to like you know find something new and then it turns out the substack and these other newsletters or whatever um newsletters are popular partly because uh zoomers are very passive they're not going to go out and like look for things and bookmark things but they'll get the emails really oh not even bookmarking now no no no. it's just to you know they're like they feel makes them feel like a boomer that's an extra step yeah so so that's that's how it started but but you know it turns out people will transact uh they will purchase they will monetize and all of a sudden people are like oh i think i'm gonna start a Substack because you know they think you know oh they They too could be making noah smith money with their yeah you know (laughs) so i think i think that's what's going on and so it's going in cycles it's coming back i will say that there was an openness you know it wasn't perfect but uh you know it was a surprisingly untribalistic world compared to now in Mm -hmm. 2005s to 2007 in particular after the iraq war was kind of faded out a little but before social media really took off uh people were leaving comments on you know other people's blogs uh that's how a lot of a lot of my um contacts uh in the in that world are from that time like megan mccardle matt iglesias people i know who are not ideologically necessarily aligned with me uh but you know we would all interact with each other and it wasn't a big thing and today it's like kind of a big deal oh yeah house files mickey kaus on slate and now he's yeah blog father he was the blog father and now everybody He's a baddie now. Mickey Kaus. The Kaus Files. He was one of the original bloggers. I've never, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I don't know this person. What? Too original. I'm, he's a, he's a, he's a a friend of mine. But he was, uh, 
Now he actually, I think he, he carved out a, a niche for himself as a Trump supporter the, the last several years. Oh, yeah, no, uh, yeah. lots of change. Okay, I, I can wait. No, I can say this now. I can say this now because I think he's probably, maybe he is listening and maybe he can confirm it. I'm 99% <laughs> sure that he was uh-huh. reading my blog in the early 2000s because I saw referral traffic uh, from mm. uh, Bookmark and it looked to me like it was clearly Mickey Kaus's bookmarks. Okay. That's All right, he's not. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll find out if he's listening. So okay, uh, so, well, let's. So do you yeah. think oh, no, the Substack though can? Um, do you think the model can last? Because for me, I don't. It, it it's hard for me to imagine that everyone is going to fork out, you know, five dollars for the. 20 people that they're interested in, or, you know, it feels like it's something that's going to make a lot of money for a few people and uh, no money for the majority of people. And then, the, you know, a lot of these like mid-sized uh, sub stackers will eventually peter out when, when it doesn't really quite pay off for them. Is that your, do you think that, or is that, am I wrong in, yeah. in, I, I mean, I think that's, yeah. I think that's a good prediction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, people are going to get uh, saturated but they're probably not going to drop their top ones. But, you know, Substack, yeah. these other things, they need to bundle. Um, they need to figure yeah. out a way to bundle, you know? And if they could bundle... And we're back to magazines. We're back yeah. to newsletters. Yeah. Like, we're back you, to newspapers. Really, and it's, yeah. it's not in the, the interest magazine. of the top people to be part of the bundle. So yeah. you're going to bundle all the people in the middle. Well, do you think that... Uh, there's something about the male brain that makes men better able to churn out the content at the rate that's necessary to succeed on Substack. Yeah, confidence, egotism, narcissism, self-centeredness. Well, oh, I mean, the, the, just confidence in terms of just like you know, uh, I've, I've got male and female children, mm-hmm. so you can you can you can see the difference. <laughs> but is it nurture or nature? I mean, really. Is there I think something it's like? It- I think it's nature. Uh, male, males, males are engaged. We're a high risk strategy. Like we, right. we exist to engage in risky behaviors and not reproduce if our genetic quality is low. That's the only reason for our existence, evolutionarily. Right. Okay, but like, just in terms of, I guess, willingness to to work. See, Sarah and I were just talking about this yesterday. Like we feel we work constantly and yet it's not nearly enough. So there are, there's a few guys that are just working like Matt Taibbi. He must just constantly, constantly, constantly be churning it out. Like, and what is you're that? doing that actually. And you, like, I guess you're you, doing yes. that. You're writing yes. all the time and then you have a podcast. So how are you? So I'm what left wondering, like, is there something they're doing or not doing that, you know, that, that maybe I'm engaging in too much um, because I feel like I can't produce at that kind of pace. Or do you think, is, is there a sex? I mean, th- clearly there's some, there's some sex difference there because it's, it's the guys that are producing just copious amounts of, of like blogs and newsletters. Like, I mean, all as, the time. as far as we're seeing, yeah, I can't really, yeah. there are some women, of course, there are exceptions, but not as many. What do you think? I mean, I think I think it just has to be like putting it out there is with like more confidence and less shame. I don't know. I mm-hmm. I just think that's quantity is just about. Um, does that make sense? 
It does yeah. because the, the the amount of posts in my draft folder and the amount of posts I've actually published, like that I don't ratio. Have, I, don't, I, don't, is, I, don't, I don't have a draft folder. Yeah, I, I have a whole folder of like <laughs> stuff that I've started and I've, I'm, I don't know how comfortable I feel. And it's never, it, it's, so maybe I should just publish like every day, publish a new draft, like fix it and, and put it out there. So um, you don't have a okay. draft folder, meaning like, so Razib, do you rewrite? Do you edit? Like you write something and then do you go over it mm-hmm. again? I have an editor. I have an editor, but. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So what I was saying though is that, you know, if you do what you know, you don't have to spend as much time. Right. So I don't do much. <laughs> that's a problem, Sarah. We don't know anything. Yeah. That's the other We're out problem. Of our we don't have an expertise. No, if it is. I think it is a confidence thing. For me, it's a confidence thing. I, I second guess myself a little bit too much. Um, and it's weird because I would consider myself as a fairly confident woman. I know. If Sarah's second guessing herself, there's no hope for the rest of us. Yeah. No, that's totally true. Uh, I totally, I mean, I think that's a really good point because um, I think it's a spectrum. And I think uh, I, I think I'm at one end. Uh, <laughs> I'm more at the Iglesias end, maybe. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't have a problem. I'm not. Uh, I I don't cringe about doing things. I mean, I probably should more, uh, but I don't. And so um, you know, I'm not a perfectionist that way. And I think that does cause problems in terms of doing it perfectly and worrying about the social consequences. I get, you know, but I, but when I say like, do what you know, it's like, like if you look at what I produce, uh, it's all of a piece, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, you know, if you're, if you're going doing features on different wide range of topics, that's going to require a lot of legwork. Mm-hmm. I don't do things that require a lot of legwork. Um, mm-hmm. So it's easy to come at like high volume. Um, I, I don't have time to read right now, but I spent a lifetime reading. So I have a lot of facts in my head and I have a good recall. It's just, just true. Yeah, I think having a good memory is really key. And some people just do. Yeah, so there don't. are facts that I pull out that I learned when I was nine, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've never reread them, but I always pull them out because they're, they're necessary. And so that's just that's just how it is. Um, and I have been writing for a long time, so I have some experience at it, I guess. Like, you know, and you have two, Megan and, and Sarah, to some extent, right? But, um, you know, I just like it's like a Venn diagram or it's like a parameter space with many dimensions. And you got to, like, find your own sweet spot. And that's what I would tell people. Uh, so yeah, when you say write what you know, I mean, I, I write about genetics and I know a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I, there's other things that I could write about, like theoretical evolutionary biology, which I'm actually super interested in, but that would require mm-hmm. a lot of legwork. Mm-hmm. And so I don't do that much because I don't have, mm-hmm. I don't have the bandwidth, you know, I, you know, with the startup and all that stuff, like you gotta, you gotta prioritize. And so, um, yeah, that's that's how you, that's how you balance it. Um, I don't sleep as much as I should. Uh, that's bad, but I don't know. So how like, much just, you how much you average a night? Average is probably five, but I probably range between like three and eight. Three because um, of work or because of yeah. like family stuff too. Eh, both, but I mean, really, it's work. Like you know, startup. Like sometimes you take calls in the evening and stuff like that. So yeah. you just got to do it. You know. You just got to do it uh, when you have to do it. And so that's, that's, you know, and I've been like that. I've been juggling things for so long that it's kind of, I'm used to it. Uh, I'm not primary caregiver. 
So, you know, I can do that. Uh, you know, we specialize that way, you know, but, um, you know, I don't know. It's just got to figure, you know, I, I guess one thing is like, you know, I've fallen into the things that I do and, you know, I have a friend who works in startups and he says he just like, he, he couldn't work for someone else. So he has to do this, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, he, yeah. he's a startup guy and yeah. me, uh, I just, am not a good I'm I'm not an obedient employee. That's the way I'm going to put it. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So, uh, I think this is what I got to do. Uh, I don't really ever want to work for anybody else, and it's high risk. But um, you know, it's been kind of high reward for me. I think. But uh, you know, I don't really have too many other options. I probably you know to, I mean, I could go work at Wendy's. I don't know. I've never worked in food service. Maybe I should try that out. <laughs> but um. You know, uh, this is this is where I am, and I think I do an okay job at it. Uh, so, um, if you guys ever read Eric Hole, uh, he does neuroscience Substack. That guy can. I write. D- I'm subscribed to it. Yeah, definitely. I'm yeah, subscribed can, to it. I think. I can, and I was like, I read his stuff, and I'm just like, damn, bro. You yeah. know, so like it's good write. or it's fast. What do you mean? He's a good writer. It's quality, real, like legit quality. It's, it's hard to get quality, though. It's hard to get quality, especially if you're not doing Substack full time. Like if you're not writing full time, it's or juggling other things. Um, I think it. I find it very difficult, but maybe because I'm not a I'm not an intuitive writer. That's the other thing. But it's hard. I mean, look, I just posted a 2000 word piece this morning and I was very proud of myself because I knocked it out in about a day and a half. But I still was like fretting over because the problem is then you're then you get invested in it. Like I, I was like, wow, I'm gonna I this is long enough. I took the time to make it this good. I need to make sure like I'm not repeating words. I need to make sure this sentence goes to this one and that there's a nice rhythm here and this and that. And then I do you worry I, about I that kind of stuff, Rosie? Copy editor through it. Yeah. I do, I do, but not not probably not as much, but I do. Yes, but it's not no, not as much. Yeah, I mean, not it's not efi- it's not efficient the way that people like me are working. But I don't know. I know but you got to you got to do you got to do what's comfortable for you too, right? Like it's not going to happen if you're not doing it comfortably, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's right. like you have your own set of parameters. So writing is not comfortable for me. Period. It's not comfortable on any like no part of the experience is something I that makes me comfortable. I just feel like I kind of have to in the sense that it, it writing helps crystallize my thoughts. So that's the way I got to do it because I, I want that end. Um, but I don't feel, I don't enjoy writing and I don't, I'm, I'm actually like perplexed. Well, that makes you a real like, writer. Real really? writers hate to, to hate it. No, you, 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 you love have written, you, you love having written. Okay. Yeah, yeah no. sure. People who love writing I know very few writers who genuinely love writing. So I love reading. I love reading. I love taking notes. I love having, you know, interesting conversations with smart people. I do not love writing. Um, anyway, well, we're yeah. getting to like the. Well, so I, I do have to, I do have to say though, it's like when you're writing code, you know, just in terms of these endeavors, like if you're writing code, you're on a bench, you're doing analyses or you're writing a paper or a piece or whatever. Um, I personally feel like there can be like a moment of like kind of like bliss and serenity oh, when you're yeah. just getting the groove, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what well, I try same. to aim for, 
you know, a moment. Mm-hmm. That's the key yeah. word. So, for example, like, so, for example, I'm going to have a piece out on epigenetics at some point. And that was hard for me because it's molecular biology and I don't know it like the back of my hand and I had to redo things. So it's labored and, you know, it, it was difficult, but it was necessary. So because people care about this topic, they ask me about it and I know enough about it, I can write about it. But it doesn't flow out of me like writing about evolutionary biology and population genetics do because I'm thinking about those things constantly mm-hmm. or some of these abstruse genomic topics that no one cares mm-hmm. about having to do with, you know, sequencing call rates and errors and stuff like that, you know? So that's what I mean. It's like, you know, if you do what you know, it is more natural, but it's not always the thing you need to do, if that makes sense. So, you know, the way I think of it is like um, you can get stuck at a local optimum where you're in a rut. And so you need to take risks and jump out of, out of your core zone of comfort periodically mm-hmm. uh, just to check what's out there, right? Uh, in There's things called MCMCs, like statistical distributions where you explore parameter spaces. And those things periodically have these noisy jumps just because they can get stuck. They can converge at like some position in the space and it's kind of a local optimum. And I, I, w- I don't want to get stuck in that. So that's another thing with the startups and and other things like that, where uh, doing new things, kind of putting yourself out of balance, that's that's kind of useful too. Uh, but on the other hand, you have to have some level of competence at something. So finding the balance is, I think, the difficult thing. And uh, I don't think that you find that balance a priori just by like, you know, learning about it in a book. You unfortunately have to make errors and mistakes and iterate and kind of converge at your own balance mm-hmm. of risk tolerance, novelty seeking, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I'm more at the high risk tolerance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and other people that I know in science are at much, much lower risk tolerance, you know, or just in any given endeavor. Like if you're, you know, go- going to work at Google is where a lot of software engineers go to retire. You know, <laughs> it's, it, that, that is a saying, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a good, it's a good, until recently, it was like a pretty secure, they pay you $250,000 to do very little, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if you want to mm-hmm. be a go-getter and go up into the organization, yes, you have to work hard, but most people, a lot of them are okay with just being paid at like 200, 300K level for minimal work, you know? Yeah. yeah. So. That sounds like a great life to me. Yeah. I, I, I live that life. I, I get that. I yeah. should have learned how to code. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should have. I mean. You're brown. You should yeah. definitely know that. I, I mean, this I, is part I, of your aren't you right. guys born knowing how to code? You know what? This is ugh. that's super, one of those things. Super problematic. Super. Pro- but you but, know what? Like I, 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 I always felt like that. That was one of those things where it's like, I think East Asians sort of get to feel the same way, which is to be like a, a, a more. Uh, I guess somebody interested more in the arts, you know, yeah, humanities yeah. as a as a brown person is Sarah, uh, Sarah, Sarah's a word cell. Word cell, yeah, that's yeah, I, I, sw- I swing both ways. Megan, have you heard about the word cell mean? Word is cell, this, no. What does that know. mean? Is that like an See, this is what I'm saying. She's in word? a totally different. She's in a different uh, uh, social sphere she, of 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 like these literary, like cool people, cool New York writing people. Yeah, but Sarah, you. I know yeah. you don't want to be. Yeah. I know you. You. You, yeah. you know you didn't miss anything. Uh, I know. I know. I know. But it's also it's a to, it's a different world. It's, What's it's a word anyway, cell? Anyway, so word cell. There. Well, Zeb, you can you can explain. There's word cells and there's shape rotators, 
And that's how, you know, we can yeah. cleanly divide the population into uh, uh, one <laughs> oh, or the other. And there, okay, there are some people who are both, okay. and those are yeah, like I, the alpha. I swing the, both ways. I swing yeah. both ways. Yeah, there are some people who can manage both, and those are the true uh, philosoph- philosopher kings. I love that last name. I wish is, I, I wish my last name was Khan. Is, are you related to Shaka Khan? <laughs> That's not the question I usually get. But yes, we are all descended from a common African population 200,000 years ago. Because that's awesome if you're related to her. That's all I can Who's say. That? No, I am. Like, we share a common ancestor. Uh, we share a substantial proportion of common ancestry 100,000 years ago and a common ancestor go. definitely within the last 5,000 years. Okay. that okay. I'm so, I'm going to say I know you then. She's a, she's a, um, a singer, like a, a really great, kind of R&B singer. I know, I'm, I'm Xenial. I remember. I don't know. I don't know. This Sarah, is I'm talking to Sarah. It. She doesn't know what anything is. Uh, yeah. Shaka Khan and Rufus. It's a really kind of funk R&B. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, let me ask one last question and then we'll, because I think we're getting to the point where you have to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're running up against yeah, it. Yeah. So, so, so tell me, Razib, why, so you're a conservative, um, you identify as a conservative. Um, one, what does that mean to you? And, and two, why is the conservative intellectual bench so shallow? In other words, why are conservatives so low IQ? That's, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, so, um, wait, why do I identify that way? Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm Schmidian in some ways. Um, I'm with who's Uh-oh. not against me, you know? Okay. So, it's just like, I mean, I can write for City Journal, National Review. They know me. They like me. So, I'm conservative. I mean, okay, <laughs> I mean man. do you know what I'm saying? Like, the... If, if people accept you, then I'm going to be with them. Like liberals are not, they don't accept me. Uh, you know, uh, the people that try to get me fired are liberal. Uh, that email people I work for are liberal. Uh, that denounce me in public are liberal. So I know I'm not on that side. Just uh, all the p- policy positions are just like details, you know? Uh, like That's who will, who will yeah, allow really? me to actually like support my family and speak in public? It's the right. They have my back, right? Okay. So I'm with the right. I'm with who's with who's who's with me. More intellectually, um, you know, I come from a libertarian background, I think, and so, um, you know, it's uh, kind of like you know, I, I'm into that sort of stuff, ideally. But uh, the reality is, um, you know, I think liberals and the left have been captured by a sort of like kind of like utopian radicalism. And that's the most dangerous thing in this world right now uh, that I experience. Like your mileage may vary depending on who you are and what your position in life is, but you know, a combination of self-interest and principle. And I'm not, I'm not trans. Like I'm cis. Like I've always been kind of on the right, I guess, like libertarian, mm-hmm. something like that on the right. So, um, in terms of like the IQ thing, I think like part of it is openness. Um, openness. And intelligence are correlated and openness is correlated with uh, liberalism, with left cultural left positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think cultural left positions are about like experimentation and novelty and innovation. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the conservatives kind of default position is like, let's just not try anything new. Let's just do the dumb old things. And that's really boring. And, you know, when I was a kid, I also thought it was boring. And so I was a libertarian. So I'm like, oh, like I'm open to things. I just think, like you know, I'm just against welfare and violation of property rights. So I think it's it's a cognitive orientation. If you're a smart person, you think you've got it figured out, 
Okay, so like the new atheists, for example. Uh, like I've always been an atheist, but um, the new atheists are just like, you know, Richard Dawkins is musing, what if there was no religion or no God? Like the world would be great, wouldn't it? No, it wouldn't be. Now we got these like crazy pink haired people that are way more fucking freaky than the religious conservatives <laughs> of the nineteen nineties. Okay? Like they they, they didn't and, and it way out. more more strict and policing. Yes, and exactly. Fundamentalist exactly. And, dogmatic, and, dogmatic. And not forgiving. Yeah, so, on top of it all. Yeah, so so the experiment's been tried. But if you're a smart person, you think you've got it figured out because you did well in school, you memorize things, you can do the math problems, right? So what is society? Society is just another problem. You can engineer it. Well, that's the leftist bent to engineer it. The conservative bent is more empirical. Like you have these experiments and you follow custom and tradition and, you know, Chesterton's fence, like it's always worked. It seems kind of dumb and it is kind of dumb. But sometimes dumb wins out uh, sometimes like you know we actually make more mistakes when we try to figure it all out uh, societies are complex cultures are complex and you know the Burkean position is we should go slow and gradually because you know we're not we're not we don't have the awareness of everything and all the interlocking pieces uh, but if you're a smart person you think you can optimize and engineer and rationalize everything Mm -hmm. uh, this is, I think, the same reason why like Salafism attracts so many engineers. It's like yeah. a simple set of principles and axioms, and you can operate the world on it. But the reality is that's not how humans really are. Uh, engineers and Salafists both lack a under deep understanding of human nature. And modern-day liberals and leftists reject human nature. And that's the fundamental problem. So, like, you know, if the left or the liberals accepted human nature, okay, maybe we could have a discussion aside from my Schmidian concerns of them trying to, like, keep me in a cage in a pub, you know, in the public square or something like that. Um, you know, because, I mean, Sarah, you know the things that they say about me, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's just like, you know, of course I'm going to be against them because they're against me. But, um, Aside from that, I, I do think that there is a hubris in the radical utopianism that we're seeing, and it's it's come and gone multiple times, and it'll go, and the reaction will come back at some point, because human nature, until we can actually start to do gene editing and cybernetics, uh, will be pretty similar as it was 2,000 or 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, we know you have to go, but um, before you go, I want to make sure people understand what your startup is because you've referred to it a couple of times. Can you just sure. like really quickly give us the the thumbnail sketch? Yeah, I can give you. Yeah. So it's basically like, um, so what we're doing right now is, you know, genomics as a space. So the first human genome was $3 billion. And 2010, it's about like twenty, thirty, forty thousand um, $40,000. And uh, now it's about like $200, $100 for a whole genome, right? So it's it's gone exponential. It's way cheaper. Uh, we have like about a million human genomes right now. We have lots of other types of genomes like, you know, SARS, coronavirus 2 genomes. There's a lot of data, uh, like petabytes of data are coming at us. Uh, probably we'll have like 200, 300 million American genomes, I bet, within 20 years, perhaps within 10, 15. This is a lot of data to handle. And so what my startup does is, you know, the easiest way to explain it is like, you know, we do storage, management, and analysis because we want to allow scientists to focus on science, uh, to actually discover things, to explore things. As it is now, you're like thrown like a terabyte of data here, a terabyte of data there. Um, you don't have the tools, you don't have the skill sets to actually analyze and decompose terabytes of data. Okay. So 
you know, a lot of biologists, they're trained with Excel uh, spreadsheets and stuff like that from 20 years ago when that's what biological data sets were like. They were literally like 100 columns or, you know, no, actually 100 rows and like five columns. Today, they're literally, you know, gigabyte, Mm-hmm. you know, 10 gigabyte size files. Uh, and like, you obviously can't open up as text files, you can't open up in Word, you can't open up in Excel, you need this programming language to interface with them. Um, it's just not feasible. The amount of data generated has outrun the human ability to actually process it. And what we're trying to do is create a platform uh, that actually utilizes, um, you, know, mach- you know, machine learning, all the buzzwords, but the buzzwords are real. Basically, rationally, allow the data to be processed so they're manageable so the humans can get insight out of the data, right? So I'm a geneticist, so obviously I'm focused on this, but this this happens with all sorts of things like marketing data or signals data, you know? Like there's just all this data that's like floating around there and people get signal out of the noise, right? So we need to get signal out of the noise so that when a baby is born, you can make predictions and as you are aging over your life, you can do epigenetics genomic analyses to see what your inflammatory responses are and like you know if you have precancerous cells and all of these other things like we'll get information to make a better life to make a healthier life but we need to have the technology there we need to put people in place so that um they can make the decisions and the choices and you know we live in an industrial society we have manufacturing we make cars but those things don't just happen. Like they need a factory. They need a process. There needs to be this whole complex thing there so that the car is output. And with genomics, we're still putting the factories together. We're still putting the process together. But once it's all together, it's going to run like an assembly line. And it's going to affect everybody, but it's going to be like a car. You don't spend that much time thinking about the car unless you're a you know, car head or whatever. You take it to go places. It's a utility. It's part of your life. It's transformed our existence. I think genomics will transform our existence. And part of it is, you know, genetic engineering is going to be a big deal. We're going to cure a lot of diseases, but you need how to read before you can write. So genetic engineering is writing, genomics sequencing, that's reading. So we need to get really, really good at reading so we can start writing. Because once you can start writing, you can actually start curing a lot of diseases. Some of them will be cured really quickly soon because the risk versus reward ratio is, you know, cystic fibrosis, concrete example. It'll be cured Mm -hmm. in 10 years, guarantee it. But there's a lot of other things like type 2 diabetes where you got to be much more careful. And I think, um, you know, we will get there. Uh, We will get there sooner if we work on the technology and somebody will. Um, But why? Is that somebody me? So I can, you know, be super rich and say whatever I want <laughs> and, uh, you know, never be canceled. So, oh, okay. That's well, the dream. I, I had the same idea for a business, but I guess you got to it first. All right. <laughs> um, maybe just don't move fast enough. All right. Well, fascinating. Amazing. Is yeah, there anything else? Amazing. Sarah, do you have any more questions? I think I mean we have to let him go, unfortunately, um, and and uh, get to get to our bonus. But thank you so much, Rosine, yeah. for coming on. Um, this was awesome. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, it's interesting. Also, well, you were our second male guest, Camille. Camille was the yeah, first yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, go- you're going down through also, progressive stack rank. Also, the 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 uh, another person of color, another. Pop. We haven't had any white but, but male he does, guests. He, but, no, he's not a person of color. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. We see the color. He we see, see the it. color. He doesn't see it. Yeah. But he's also he's also an atheist. 
It kind of. I, I mean, know. not really. We discussed that. He wasn't. He's not really. He's 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 seeing a lot of God in, way. in different places. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. Had, we discussed that a little bit, and I, I'd actually next time he, he, I, I speak to him or we have him on or something, I'm going to dig into that a little bit. Um, yeah, but uh, anyway, thank you so much, uh, Razib. This was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, good luck we'll, on everything. We'll have you on again, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can enlighten us on all the on these all these details that go way over our heads, frankly. I know. I'm gonna um, have to <laughs> sit, sit with this. <laughs> I've taken I've taken notes. I'm gonna look them up later. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll do the I'll do the analysis of the genotype. I gotta get back to you. Okay. All right, cool. Okay. I, I need to know how I'm gonna do maybe feel. I'll do twenty maybe I'll do twenty three and me. Yeah, you gotta spit in a little like tube for you gotta like yeah. drool in a little tube for for like half an hour and then and then you send that over to a lab. It's it's yeah, gross, but but worth it. Yeah, and Rosie okay. will analyze it and tell you. How All right, you will. You okay. <laughs> All right. Now I'm motivated. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Have a good one. Bye. Hi, it's Megan from A Special Place in Hell. If you enjoyed the show and want to support it, there are a couple of ways you can do that. The first is to join our Substack at a specialplace.substack.com. There, you can get access to bonus content every week. You can participate in listener comment threads, and you can even join us for Zoom Hangouts, where we get together and talk about the show and answer all of your questions. You can also rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, including on our new YouTube channel, which is called A Special Place in Hell. Sarah and I are really excited about the future of the podcast, and we're so grateful to have you along with us. So thanks for listening, and we will see you in hell.